Motopod, proudly supported by Roadskin, a UK label specializing in protective outerwear for motorcyclists. Modern biker clothing that you can wear all day long and engineered to save your skin. For the road, for life, visit roadskin.co.uk. Welcome to Motopod, the internet radio show all about motorcycle road racing. This is episode number 744. I'm Jim McDowell. With me, as always, Richard Jowett. Richard, things are happening. It's like a newsflash episode. Yeah, well, we kind of thought best to get this out because we've been waiting for certain bits of news to drop or, or things to become clear for, what, months now, really. And then all of a sudden it happens within the space of a few days, which is probably not coincidental so we thought we'd just jump in before the triple header gets going uh parking the superbike special that will come but this kind of takes precedence really so yeah here we are yeah all right so since we got a little bit of time here i want to thank everybody who donates to the show we haven't done that in a while that's our fault but mm-hmm. i want to thank keith kovac nick Saban, alan fleming gary shavit steve monk paul lang hudson kai cooper darren andrews rob fritas kyle clark jacob brower jeremy burnich and dennis kindig you guys have really helped us out. We appreciate it, and it's our fault for not having having a shout-out there. Remember, guys, if you like the show and you have a little bit of spare change, you can donate to the show. You can do that by going to our webpage, www.motopodcast.com. There's a Donate button on the right-hand side. You could also do it from Patreon, so that's www.patreon.com forward slash motopod. And with that, Rich, let's just get right down to it. The divorce is now final. All parties have agreed to, to part ways. Mark Marquez is no longer a Honda uh, factory rider, which we knew this was going to happen. The problem was, was he going to forfeit a year of money? What was the deal? Was who? Where is he going to go? So we have all that to talk about. I guess we should start out by saying that officially no one has said where he is going. Mm-hmm. that I have seen True. at this point Very. in time. For a point of reference, this is October 11th that we're recording this show on. So I think we all know that it's Grassini because that's the last spot that's available for him to go. There's no other room at the inn at all. Well, it wouldn't make an awful lot of sense for him to go to the remaining LCR Honda seat, would it? So <laughs> Grassini really is the only place, unless he's... Got some crazy plan to go and ride a Pettuccini Kawasaki and World Superbike or something, but I, I, I suspect we can pretty much, yeah, work on the basis that he'll be a Grassini rider next year. Yeah, given what we know, I think it's the logical option. Uh, Grassini's got the seat. Grassini's held that seat for some time, so I think this has been in the works for quite a while, be to go there, and it's just taking its time to run through its course of. You know, who wants the house? Where are the kids going to go? <laughs> you know, do we have to split the 50-50 on the sale of the house? What about the property we own? Da, da, da. You know, I think it's kind of one of those things that's happened. And we just, now we've all gotten to that point. But as amicable as what it was talked about early on that Marquez would leave. And, you know, basically Honda said, if you want to go, that's fine. We're not going to hold you to the contract. Apparently 
they've made some exceptions to the rule for him to leave. And now he's started to get a bit of blowback from Alberto Puge, who was all for all this. Well, we're not going to keep anybody who doesn't want to ride our bikes. And now suddenly he's, you know, I, I don't know if this is true. I've seen it on a couple of different websites. We all know how the internet is. But that Marquez told them when he left that, hey, if you got a guy that finishes like in the top five in the championship next year, I'll come back. Like, okay, that's, huh. That's a scratch your head moment. <laughs> it always goes into overdrive, doesn't it? With And obviously we're guilty of it as well because we speculate endlessly on the show. I mean, that's part yes, of, the we fun do. of the show, of course. Yeah, where do you start? So, I mean... I don't think anybody really knew until the announcement came out which way this was going to go. I mean, we flip-flopped, I think, Jim, to be fair, haven't we? Thinking that he was going to leave and then thinking, nah, he's going to stay. I mean, obviously, we had the last round in Motegi. The fact that there was no announcement that he was going to stay, you know, made during the Japanese Grand Prix weekend, probably told everybody that this announcement was at last going to come. But it's still a shot when, you know, that press release came out on social media and through all the various channels. I mean, it was a genuinely shocking moment because this guy's never ridden another bike in the MotoGP class. So, I mean, it is a seismic shift. Now, I think um, without wishing to sort of pinch from other podcasts that I've listened to in the last few days, but one of the things that appears to be the case, although, again, it's not official, but it does sound very much as though all of Marquez's crew at HRC stay put. So whilst Honda might have been prepared to release him, they're not prepared to release everybody else that has such intimate knowledge of the inner workings of that team and the bike, because obviously another rider has to come in and slot into that position as hard as that is going to be. So Marquez, no doubt, has had to give up certain things, and maybe that was obviously part of the negotiation that took place. He'll take a shed load of sponsorship with him to Grassini. I mean, I'm no doubt there'll be you know truckloads full of cash of Red Bull money going to Grassini. So those bikes will probably look a bit different next year in terms of the sponsorship on them. And even though it's a year old bike, it's going to be a great bike, isn't it, Jim? So, I mean, the racing we've kind of, or I have certainly felt it's been a bit stayed at times this year, but I think we can really look forward to 2024 with Marquez, even on a year old Ducati, because that is going to be a good bike. I mean, it is a great bike Um, with him on it. I don't, I'm not going to sort of rush off and say he's going to win the championship, although I think he suddenly becomes a very strong contender for the championship now. And he's definitely going to be up there dicing in the top five virtually every weekend, I would suggest. I don't know what you think about this. So, I mean, it's great news for the championship. It's obviously bittersweet for both parties in terms of the divorce that's happening. But I think for the overall good of the sport, and it's a promoter's dream, really, from Dorna's point of view. I mean, this would be a great story, wouldn't it, if he's a genuine title contender and winning races next year. So there's much of this to look forward to, I think, going forward. Well, there's there's a lot of things in there. So if I miss one of the things that you asked me about <laughs> here, remind me as we go through. Uh, first, I saw it on, on Crashnet that his crew can't go, and because... He wanted them to go. And the way it was written, implied, it wasn't Honda saying, you guys can't go. It was Gigi Delania saying, no, you guys aren't allowed to see what makes that bike tick. Okay, now, good point. Yeah. The, 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 they're saying that because KTM stole 
hired away, however you want to take it, a lot of people who had intimate knowledge of how the Ducatis work. And suddenly now KTM is the second best bikes on the racetrack. So apparently that knowledge has been used to make the KTM a much better motorcycle. Look at how they're getting away with their starts, their front end, the whole shot device is obviously probably more than likely a direct copy of what Ducati has. Um, the rear ride height, probably a direct copy, if not very close, very close. So you have that. So that's the first thing I think. Second thing was like Dorna's dream. I, I'm not so sure about that. Dorna seemed to be very adamant or was, you know, quote, tried very hard to work things out between Honda and Marquez. So they seem to have been some sort of intermediary amidst all this, which from what I've read and can infer from multiple different sources, some of the journalists that we follow on Twitter, our ex, uh, things like that, that, you know, there what what delayed the announcement at Motegi was basically Dorna showing up saying, Hey, look, what, what, you know, do you guys need all these, these concessions and we'll, we'll give these things to you. We'll somehow ramrod it through. If you stay, blah, blah, blah. Now, I don't know how much of that's true or not, because I don't think, I think Dorna's worried that Honda leaves much like Suzuki left. And yeah. I, there's no one to replace them. Now I, I in no way, shape, or form think Honda would ever leave MotoGP. I I personally cannot see it. I'm not saying that it won't happen or could not happen, but that has been something Honda's been in the World Championship since, what, 55 or 56? Somewhere in that range. Mm -hmm. So it's been, yeah. it's, been, it's been continuous through the worst of times, through the best of times, through the worst of times, through the best of times take your pick they have been through it all and they've never left so i don't think that they're going to leave so that's sort of a moot point the the promoting dream um it does make me think that next year is going to be fascinating because you you uh listen to a cal crutchlow says he's like hey it's more than likely you're never going to know which way marquez went if he was on a ducati and he says, as a guy who rode with Marquez on the same bike that Marquez has, he says, I know what he did. I can see the data. I know what he did. I know how he did it. I couldn't do it. That's pretty, I mean, I get it. Crush loves a test rider for Yamaha, but just the plain fact that he would even admit that Marquez could do something with a motorcycle that he could not do was definitely not even remotely in what I would think he'd, he would say. I can't remember, but Matt Oxley has an article about the divorce and he talks about, I can't remember if it was a writer or if it was an engineer. I might have to look it up real quick while we're talking. But the person said, no one's going to see which way he went. If, if Marquez has a sniff of being able to be near the front, he's going to win or come close to winning. Um, the thing of it is, is that he's got to learn how to use the rear brake on the Ducati and, but you do have to throw it in sideways, which Marquez is more than capable of doing. And you use that to turn the corner. Cause if you look the two guys that hang the back end out, well, I should, sorry, I'll say three guys that hang the back end out the most Martin, Benyaya, Bender. And those are the guys that have been consistently fast. Now, speaking of those three guys come next year, 
the mistakes that Benyaya has made and the mistakes that Mir or Martin has made, not Mir, cannot be made if Marquez is on that Ducati. Even if it is a year old Ducati, he will ruthlessly destroy you because if you make that mistake, he is going to take the maximum points and he is going to make it hurt when you do it. There will no be. I, I feel like this season, both Benyaya and Martin have had golfing term mulligans, some do overs that they've kind of gotten away with. Coda being one for for Benyaya that stands out. Obviously, that's not going to happen if Marquez is on that Grassini bike. Now, all the money, I'm guessing that a, there will be a huge influx in flux of cash from red bull to grissini but i also think mark is probably going to throw some money in himself because i think the money that he was stood to earn and again this is from matt oxley no one knows exactly what he gets precisely or who it's from but the number that's always bandied about is he gets 40 million euros a year now that's i'm assuming he's getting that money from Honda, even though he's not going to ride the bike from because of their mutual agreement to part. Maybe that's part of what it was because he wants that money to fund his fun <laughs> on Grissini's bikes. I, I don't know. But either way, what this does set in motion is an incredibly complicated, silly season that will start in Qatar in 20... Or no, where does the season start? Uh, is uh, it it's, start yes, in, it will start in Qatar, yeah. Even though we're ending, even though we're going yeah. to Qatar at the end, really? Yeah, because it's the huh. only reason it's so late Qatar this year is because they've done all this big redevelopment of the pits mm. and all the facilities there. So they'll gotcha. be back to their usual opening okay. slot again from next so, year. So <laughs> if that's the case, then yes, we will be talking about silly season early on. Um, so yeah, fascinating to say the least of what this does. This puts into motion some some crazy things that are going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I just don't know where to start. I mean, so many thoughts going through my head in terms of things I want to say, really, and I'm sure much of the listenership will be the same. I mean, there'll be so many different opinions on this. I mean, what's clearly going to be really fascinating as the season unfolds is we know that the 2023 bike that Marcus starts the season on next year, at least equal best to what the 2024 Works Ducati will be, because that'll just be a minor evolution of what they've already got. So that... The interesting question for me is, as the year goes on, does the satellite bike start to suffer? Because it, although Marquez may well take some of his own money or certainly a shed load of sponsorship money, I don't necessarily think that translates into extra stuff coming across from Ducati. It probably translates into more personnel in the in the box, probably, just to sort of bolster the overall effort. Although Grassini is a very, very professional, well-functioning squad, as we've seen for years now so then the question becomes if the bike starts to fall behind a little bit in the development path how much does the marquez factor make up the difference and does he continue that fight all the way to the end just by dint of his pure talent which has never gone away yeah he's a few years older and he's been knocked about a lot we know that but i mean this is mark marquez we're talking about with the prospect now of winning another championship on a different make of motorcycle with the distinct possibility that this could be a one-year deal. And then he jumps on the KTM and does the same thing again in 2025. So, you know, he's got all of that in front of him. And if he's looking to cement a legacy, I guarantee you, Jim, he's doing this for free at this point because he doesn't need any more money in the bank. Of that, I'm really convinced. 
So let's talk about 2025. Let's, let's get silly season started here. There is, <laughs> let's get... I, I think we all, I think everyone will agree that this Grissini deal is a one year deal. There, I, yeah, there's sure no way it. around this. There, I am because everybody's contracts are basically up at 2024. There is rampant speculation across all sources from everybody that Marquez is going to figure out how these Ducatis work and take all that knowledge to KTM or whatever, and he's going to be on a KTM. The reason this kind of is hap- or is being talked about, even though it's kind of a wild and crazy rumor, is the fact that previous to this, Jack Miller was told, hey, you better step it up, bud, because your contract can be revoked too. And that just added fuel onto the fire that he's going to KTM as well. I agree with you. If he if he somehow magically wins a 2024 title, jumps to KTM and somehow magically would to win a title on that, call it a day because you've done something no other person has done. You would have won you know, back-to-back titles on different bike, different bikes. Okay, yeah, Rossi did that, so that's not the point. But you have done it on three different machines, which, yeah, I don't which Rossi any, did not manage to do. Rossi did no. not manage that trick. I don't know, and that must that must be a big target for Marquez to get oh, that box ticked. That I think is a you're huge right. motivation for him. Yeah, mm-hmm. and people will be saying, "Well, hang on a minute, why would Ducati?" let him do one year on the bike even if he wins the title and then go but Ducati don't necessarily have a huge amount of input on this although they've been saying the right things over the last few weeks but I think that's more of a fait accompli kind of situation because Christina can hire who the hell they want and from their point of view even if Marquez is only on that bike for a year you know if he was to win the championship on it I mean that would be just mega for them Mm -hmm. so it's it's in with the exception of the Ducati sort of factory this works for just about everybody, I think, even if he was only there for a year. So a lot of this stuff does make logical sense to me. And I, I think the KTM rumours will be, well, I mean, we're already kind of speculating on it now, and it's we're not the first to do that. And I'm sure it's going to just keep going, isn't it? And if, you know, if, if he is really effective on the Ducati early doors next year, even if, you know, we haven't heard anything about signings, I'm sure KTM will be swooping in there to get him because it's a again it's a PR dream and factoring the Red Bull factor as well. I mean, it just makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. But, so... I mean, there's lots of things that have to happen in the correct order before we get to that, but that is a logical progression that I could see happening. Yeah. So let's talk about who potentially replaces Marquez at the hole that's there now in HRC. I, you have to wonder if Zarco goes there to partner Mir, perhaps. But if you were Honda, and I'm putting my Honda engineering hat on here for the moment, if I wanted to develop a bike in public, I wouldn't want to do it in my factory team. I would very much like to do it with Johan Zarco in the LCR team. That's where I'd want to do it. So perhaps maybe Zarco does not move up to the factory team and he simply stays put. That's one scenario. If he stay, if Zarco stays put, the question becomes, who do they get? Well, 
it has been branded about that Oliveira is the leading candidate to take that, leave the RNF squad, partially because we believe, through again, through other news sources, that Oliveira's contract with RNF has a get out clause if a factory team comes calling. So if a factory team wants him, he can get out of the contract and, hey, go there. We know Mir's staying. If you put Oliveira next to him, that's probably not a bad combination of guys who I think could work together well to sort the motorcycle out. But then there's, so that's there. Now, it's also been bandied about that Lekawona is going to be moved to maybe the LCR team if Zarco gets put up. And then, but he's also supposed to still ride World Superbike. So I guess he rides an LCR when he can and commits to World Superbike. And when Lukawana can't, Rattle substitutes for him at LCR. Well, I was having a little exchange, a very good-natured exchange with somebody on X about this. Oh, the racing armchair, who's a great contributor on X. If you don't follow him already, um, go and find, look him up and subscribe. Uh, he sort of put out the shout, who should HRC take on? And I immediately said, I, my personal view, and obviously it counts for nothing really in the overall scheme of things, is that, well, let's just backtrack a little bit. I've read a few things that have said that Lucio Cecinello being quite firm over the fact that whilst Zarco is an HRC contracted rider, he's contracted to ride at LCR. So if Zarco is to go over to the work squad, Lucho wants something in return. Cash, probably. <laughs> yeah, not for himself, for the team. So the Zarco thing is possibly a little bit complicated. And I agree with you, actually, Jim. I think, you know, Zarco could pick up his kind of traditional Ducati role of being the uber tester. And do it slightly more quietly at LCR. But that doesn't change the fact that the dynamic in the work squad now changes massively that Marquez is going, or or let's say will be gone. Do they galvanise around Joanne Mir? Does this sort of become now the kind of the Suzuki-ish type squad that we thought might happen when Ken Kawauchi joined the squad? And obviously Mir, who he engineered to a world championship a couple of years ago, or 2020 was it? 2020. But who but who do they put in that other seat? Personally, for me, my point that I made on Twitter, sorry, X, to the racing armchair, was I think they just go and shop for somebody that's exciting in Moto2 because I don't really see why it makes a lot of sense for Oliveira to go across. Yeah, I know it's a works bike, but I think he's in a good position with Aprilia and there will be one or two seats in the work squad at Aprilia coming up in a year or so's time. And... I just think Honda needs a complete reset, really. Yeah, they need to get busy testing, and Zarco's a good guy to help them with that. But at the same time, I think they just put bring a young gun in. Uh, my vote was Alonso Lopez, because as much as I find some of his antics on track a bit distasteful, and I do, I've always said the same thing about Mark Marquez. I think you just bring somebody in that's got the talent, got the desire, doesn't know anything about the MotoGP bike, so just gets on it and rides it, and hopefully it develops in a certain direction, with Mir and Kawauchi kind of perhaps starting to lead that now, maybe kind of making it, well, not making it a Suzuki, but because you can't do that overnight. But do you know what I mean? Just kind of trying to take it away from the Marquez direction and turn it into a bit more of an all-rounder. 
that I think is what Honda want to do. And I suspect this might have been part of their kind of position with on the whole Marquez issue, which is that look, he's not going to be around forever. He doesn't want to be here anymore. So let's just stop this nonsense and let's go off in a different direction. Yeah, they lose a bit of face over it, but at least they get a chance to reset. So to me, oh, and the other, I mean, the other bonkers one I saw was that the Honda were going to go and try and get um, Maverick Vinales. I mean, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. Again, for him and for them, because he's kind of making sensible progress on the Aprilia, isn't he? But it's all a bit kind of shaky in terms of the, the race day performance. And I, I just, he's not known to be a development rider. And would he do any better on the Honda? I think he'd just have a season thrown up the road, personally, as Mir has found. So... Yeah, that's my kind of view, Jim. But uh, it's a tricky, tricky puzzle to solve the HRC one because they are in such dire straits. And by the way, something you said earlier on, I think is absolutely bang on the money. Dorna were absolutely desperate for Marcos to stay because they do not want HRC leaving the championship. Now, I'm with you. I don't think that would happen. But Dorna know more about it than we do. So there's obviously something to that. Um, But hopefully HRC just see that the writing's on the wall now. They've just got to go back to sort of the beginning almost and look towards this being either run the clock in terms of the new regs coming in. And you can bet your bottom dollar Honda have got plenty to say about what the 2027 regs are going to be. A bit like when the four-stroke category first came in. I mean, they will look at this as an opportunity to reset the playing field somewhat in their favour. Um, so either they run the clock or they just do genuinely now try and kind of stop trying to do things their way and do what a KTM have done so effectively and what Aprilia are starting to do so effectively and that is look at what Ducati have done and say right let's do some of what they're doing and recruit the people that they need to do it and take the technical direction in in that direction Suzuki did it very effectively and so they've got a couple of linchpins in that team now which they could now start to leverage to get them somewhere on the road towards that level of progression so let's see yeah, there's that's a lot there. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I think this is a case of Honda needs to take two steps back to go forward. Yeah, I think we've seen that before at different times. You know, occasionally they get their sums spot on. I give you the five cylinder <laughs> at the beginning of the 990 era. That was like <laughs> no one saw that one coming. Uh, you know but hey if you're the people who are writing the rules for four strokes you're going to write it to your advantage and they did the question then is is how much say does honda have in the 2027 regs you know as a team do they have the power to say hey we we don't want we don't want um rear ride height adjustment we we whole shot device okay fine um wings need to be sort of cut back to like a couple of rakes that are on the upper fairing and you know they got to be located in a very specific area and so no more of these things that are starting to sprout up around the swing arms and off the brake covers and all this Mm -hmm. other stuff there i do like your thought of uh lopez being taken from Moto2 because he's on the Bosca Cora, correct? Yeah. And he's obviously 
driving some of that development to make that bike what it is. So he might be a good person to look at as far as that, you know, um, it's, it's just so much. There's so much here that's going to unfold, but I think that's like the basis of it. I think we've covered pretty much all of it. I think about Marquez, is there any major point we haven't talked about yet? I don't think so. Um, I mean, as you said right at the very beginning, this is not official that he's at Grassini, but of course this is what is going to happen. But what all the intricacies around it are, we are yet to find out. And obviously a big part of that will be, how does that team shape up for next year? And I mentioned this a couple of episodes ago. I feel a little bit for Alex Marcus in a way, because he's going to be so sort of thrown into the shadows on this one. I do wonder what he really feels about this deep down. We'll never know. Um, and, I mean, I'm not suggesting for one moment, even though Mark has kind of said it a few years back, but I don't think Alex is the rider that Mark is. He's a very good rider and he's won a sprint race this year. So he's proven that. And he did. He had a few decent performances on the Honda, for goodness sake. So, you know, that puts him a cut above a few other people you could mention. But none of this sort of plays terribly brilliantly for Alex Marquez, I don't think. But on the other hand, brothers in the team they obviously love each other and spend a lot of time together and you know live i think they might even live together actually so although i'm sure they don't really kind of occupy the same space because i'm sure it's quite a large property but <laughs> with the uh, the means that they have at their disposal but so the whole dynamic around grassini next year i think is going to be very interesting to see how that builds up and how things transpire as the year goes on in 2024 yeah this is one of those things where i would like a very well done insider documentary series a la drive to survive because seeing this dynamic inside of Grissini would be fantastic alas we're not that wish that so well i'm not so sure i think dawna will be doing everything they can so that every other person in that garage has got a camera attached to them because i'm they will milk this jim for everything that they can possibly get away with won't they i mean let's face it they're still living off the rossi kind of shadow at the moment to some extent so with marquez back towards the front or at the front uh, they'll just milk it for everything it's worth and what and why wouldn't they i mean you know he's box office isn't he so and we need it uh, i mean the championship needs it as good as the kind of the bezeki banyaya uh, martin thing is it's very marquez in it. i mean unfortunately and i'd say that with inverted commas um you know, it's another Ducati, which is the only sort of negative point of this, I think. But who's to say KTM don't come out with another big development next year or or a significant evolution of what they've currently got? I mean, the carbon fibre chassis, clearly that is a step forward. We're going to talk about KTM now, I think, aren't we? Yeah, so we're going to go there. We, we can't rule them out, uh, particularly with some of the talent that they've got now that we know what's going on. So I guess that segues quite neatly. Yeah. So... We finally figured out the math at KTM, how you put five into four. Well, you eliminate Paul Spargaro and you throw Pedro Acosta on a gas gas. I I feel sorry for Paul that he is being tossed to the curbs because of Acosta's contract. And mainly, you know, hey, he 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 tag yeah, how does it he suffered massive injuries in an accident that's not it's well beyond his control. Like he couldn't do that. Right. 
he had yeah. he had no control over it, and for him to be basically thrown out under the circumstances is a little difficult to see. But to be honest, Paul's time at HRC really diminished his uh, power to dictate where he was going to go. Right, he went back to Tech Three, so he went back to a satellite team hoping to like rekindle the magic that had happened that got him up to the HRC, right? You know, I saw something in him, put him there, but that that's not back. It hasn't come back. I'm not saying it won't come back, but he is going to get a bunch of wild cards to be able to wild card and, you know, kind of stay there because along with the cost of going there, KTM still is after LCR, to have two more bikes on the grid. KTM wants more presence presence on the grid than they have. And they have one more brand that I guarantee you they want to have out there. I, I They want a set of pristine white and blue motorcycles out there that say Husqvarna on it. They, they do. That is what they want. They, you know, they're looking around at Dorna and you, you almost have to wonder if somewhere in all these conversations of Mark and Dorna and LCR and KTM and HRC, if it isn't bandied about like, look, we'll put, you know, KTM saying, Hey, look, we'll put two more bikes on the grid and we'll, but we get Marquez and Acosta. Heck Honda can have concessions. You know, we'll somehow figure it out with Ducati, you know, that we'll, you know, you, you can't have these, you, you will get concessions for these guys. So there, the intrigue is almost as good as Formula One nowadays into the backdoor rooms that are going on because KTM wants to be a power player in this series. And, you know, they feel like they've bought their seat at the table and they've anteed up and they want more. So I'm not sure where all of this goes, but I am looking forward to seeing Acosta on the big bike. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, it's a rough deal for Polis Bargro. But, but... Uh, without wishing to sound too kind of uh, unkind, and he's been in MotoGP quite a long time now. I think it's Admitted 10 years. It must, be, it must be approaching now. I was just trying to work it out how, when he first arrived, because, of course, he started off on the Tech 3 Yamaha, didn't he? Customer bike, and that was a properly customer Yamaha at that stage. So, okay, you wouldn't... But he came in as the reigning Moto2 champion, didn't he? Having come across from the Pons team, which he won the championship on. Again, forgive me, I can't remember the year. So he had two or three years on the Tech 3 Yamaha, if memory serves, because he was teammate to Bradley Smith for most of that time. And then both of them went across to the fledgling KTM works squad, the two bikes when KTM first entered. He must have been on that for three years, I reckon, if not four. And then obviously had the ill-fated two years at HRC and now back in KTM on the Tech 3 bike. So has he had top line equipment? No. Because uh, he's either been on customer bikes or developing a works bike. So he's kind of had the rough end of the stick a bit, but he is notorious for crashing and he crashes big as well. So, and, and whilst I totally agree with you, Jim, I mean, the Portimao crashing, was it free practice two or something? It was late in yeah. the afternoon, one day it was cold. Uh, yeah, one of the practices. Out, cold, cold tire and hit a barrier that nobody thought a rider would ever reach. So, and, and that was a very, very, very serious accident as well that he had. Um, 
and he's probably still not really fully fit certainly not mentally probably recovered from that that would take some time to get over so you know I mean the word that keeps coming up when you listen to people more in the know than we are is hubris when talking of KTM because they clearly thought they could just buy or get two extra bikes on the grid no questions asked and you know they've been put in their place so they kind of landed themselves in this position where they had contracted riders and not enough bikes to put them on so they've got serious egg on their face and unfortunately Polis Bargaro is the victim of that now if the rumors around kind of LCR or if the or if the talks about another two bikes onto the grid keep going on and eventually Dorna relent I mean that could still happen I suppose then perhaps there's a route back for pole, you know, on one of those seats, you know, because they, if they've got another two bikes and they can shuffle the riders that they've got, or if they can't get LCR, you know, maybe Jack Miller goes back to LCR where he started off when he first came up, you know, on the, on that kind of very sort of customer uh, Honda, sort of the road bike ERCV, if you remember. Yeah. When he first arrived. So again, there's all sorts of different connotations to how this sort of shapes up, but none, none of this really reflects terribly well on KTM, as we've said several times, because they've just got a terrible reputation for, you know, promising people the earth and then sacking them mid-session or or just reneging on contracts. You know, it's not great, really. But like you, Jim, I, I think they will continue to push very, very hard for those two extra bikes, whether they get new grid slots or whether they just buy another team. I cannot understand why Dorna will not let them have the two empty grid slots. That makes no sense to me. I, you can attach your, your Dorna. You can attach any kind of little, you can amend the contract or whatever. Again, we, we talked about this. I think how Dorna says it's gotta be a full factory. However, Husqvarna isn't a full factory. It's just KTM. KTM's got the money. So just tell them, hey, look, you can have this, but we are not forking out, what was it, the 10 million euros that Dorna pays the satellite teams to to be there. Like, no, just tell them no. They'll find somebody to pay it. I mean, it just really seemed to be, well, take it out of the Husqvarna marketing playbook or whatever. I, It just seems so ludicrous to me that they're holding steadfast on that because – if they wouldn't, if if some buzzer candy nuts, we'd all have a very merry Christmas. But if they would have relented and if they would have allowed two more bikes on the grid, and they would have been Husqvarna's, Acosta goes to a Husqvarna with Marquez right next to him. That's that is like that's like a. I mean, if you want marketing greatness, there's. I think that sells a few more seats slash more bikes if it's that versus being on a Grassini. I am not trying to downplay Grassini as a team. That is not the point of this. It's just, I think from a marketing, put people in stands and sell motorcycles. I think it's a little better to go that way. You know what though, Jim, I've, been, I've thought about this a lot in the last couple of weeks. We keep talking about this, don't we? This, this kind of conundrum about why the two extra slots. And we've kind of speculated, well, maybe it's because they want BMW to show up when the new regulations come along. If the, if those regs are, kind of palatable to another big company like BMW. I mean, I don't think we can necessarily underestimate the significance of top rat Razgati Oglu going to BMW because there could be a MotoGP ride at the end of that or being spoken about. But I just wonder if Dorna are taking, a, as you would expect them to do, and they should do, 
taking a very sort of strategic, i.e. long-term view of this and thinking to themselves, look, do we really want to end up back in the kind of late, the 80s and the 90s where we effectively had two factories and that was the championship? You know, i.e., do we just want this to be a Ducati versus KTM battle, you know, with the risk that they've lost Suzuki, you know, Yamaha in all sorts of bother at the moment, a Honda, you know, perhaps not quite as dire and things depending on how they handle things as we've just been talking about but it is still a risk so i think dawn are running scared that the japanese might just bail completely at this point because as you know they have really fallen behind for various different reasons which we've spoken about a lot and i just wonder if dawn look at the championship and think it's basically a ducati cup at the minute as does we like to say with an occasional interloper do they really want it, you know, to give KTM that much sway and that much power and giving them another two bikes has given it to them. I just wonder if they think that's just a bit of a step too far and they just want to kind of not disenfranchise the remaining Japanese factories too much. And at the same time, they also want to try and entice somebody else to come in that feels as if they might have a fighting chance of, of you know, doing something worthwhile because look, we've lost Suzuki, we lost Kawasaki. So, I mean, you know, Companies come and go. I mean, that's just the nature of championships. But, you know, they don't want... Clearly, Dorna do not want to go back to that situation where you basically just have two factories and if you're not on one of those bikes, you're out. So I, I just wonder if that's part of the calculation that they're making, that which is that we've got to look very long-term here and you've got a new set of regulations coming and we need some other blood coming in here. And we certainly don't want to lose what we've already got because we've lost enough already. Yeah, I you have you make an excellent point, and it's very possible that that's what happens. Uh, they again, we don't know all the inner workings of what's happening, but a very logical argument and well placed. To be honest with you, BMW could come. There's no question about that. I wouldn't worry about Honda leaving as much as I'd worry about Yamaha giving up the ghost. Well, I agree. Yeah, that's yeah. that's where I would be with that one. Anyway, uh, that's the KTM fiasco slash so, uh, problem-solving session there with Pitt Buyer. We'll just <laughs> go on to just a, a few more tidbits of, of news. Bezeki broke his collarbone while training at the VR46 ranch. It was pinned and plated, and he's traveling to Indonesia in an attempt to ride. But I, even if he did ride, he's going to be – if he could pull off the superhuman effort of one Jorge Lorenzo from Assen in 2015-ish time frame and were to somehow magically even be able to finish fifth, it's his championship is over considering where he lies in there. It's interesting that Luca Marini also has a broken collarbone. Same thing, same, same surgery, plate pinned, and going to Indonesia as well for the next race. If Bezeki cannot ride, there will be no reserve rider. There will be no replacement rider, I should say, not a reserve rider. Although, well, it was so interesting just to see everybody go, oh, Rossi's going to ride on his team in a one-off. Guys, did you not know what car racing show that Rossi's doing? That, that car thing? He, he's kind of got a job racing other things. And, hey, they're on the same day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's Put doing calendar search. Fair. And he's doing pretty well at yes, racing cars as well. Yes, he is. Now, so, be happy. Yeah, that, that people, clearly not happening. Be <laughs> not happy happening. that Rossi has a team 
that he has a motorcycle team and be happy that he occasionally shows up to watch his team and just enjoy that because that's all you're going to see of Rossi in a motorcycle that has passed. He's racing cars and that's that. He might even be racing a BMW hypercar at Le Mans next year. No, I'm tuning in for that one. (laughs) Just for that. that So speaking of cars, Rich, there was a Formula One race that happened at Qatar. And we know that Qatar had restructured the curbs there to the FIA. It was FIA, yeah. The FIA, FIM specification of the Tuberone style shark tea curb, whatever, however you want to look at it. And yeah. that caused a world of problems. Now, when that first came started out the weekend, Lewis Hamilton goes, F1 has a track limits problem, much like MotoGP has a track limits problem, right? We maybe don't have it to the extent that Formula One has it, but they have it. Hamilton said, hey, with these new curbs, you've definitely solved it because we cannot get out there on the curb. You go too far on the curb, take too much curb, the car just gets pounded by the by the interrupted teeth of the curb. In fact, they were getting pounded so bad that the there was a harmonics issue with the sidewall rubber that Pirelli has on the car to where they said, look, you guys can't do any more than 18 laps on a set of tires. So there's a huge problem with that curb and those Pirelli tires. Now, Pirelli did not test there with those tires for Formula One. I will say that. But it does make me think when MotoGP goes there, I wonder what's going to happen with those curves. We've all... We all looked at those intently when it came out that this was being done. And we all said, (laughs) I mean, think about if the Formula One car is getting a set of harmonics through it, what the rider is going to have. I mean, we're talking about it being, uh, let's not call it dangerous. Let's call it unsafe that like you create a harmonic that becomes a big tank slapper that you can't save. So we have more crashes. I don't think the tires are going to be an issue like the Formula One cars are, but I do think that, Going to Qatar is going to be very interesting. And I know you're going to be there. So your job is going to be try to suss out as much as you can about the curbs and what they what is being done, said, et cetera, about it. Because that uh, apparently might be a solution, but it may not be the proper solution for everyone. I booked my flights yesterday, Jim, as it Did happens. You? Excellent. A yeah. little, little bit later than I should have done it. But yeah, so we're definitely going. Um, I not entirely sure that they're not going to change the curbs I, I think that they were a sort of a very extreme curb for formula one and that the fim version is a little bit less extreme which is a bit bizarre that they would then have to take all those curbs out on however many corners they are and replace them i mean that's clearly not something that could be done everywhere because there's a huge cost involved in that um but yes that will be something to look at because i mean those formula one curbs I mean, as a rider, if you fell off your bike for one reason or another, or you had it coming together with another bike and you're sliding down the road, you do not want to be going through ridges and valleys like that with arms and legs flailing because they they will just, you know, that is not a good outcome. So I can't envisage that those curbs are going to be acceptable to any, any form of bike racing, let alone MotoGP. But we'll certainly keep a close eye on 
how that one plays out because as you say Jim I mean it was a bit of a farce in the end wasn't it really in terms of what happened in the Formula One race because as you say the time my understanding I'm not obviously not a a kind of a rubber material specialist but the the rubber was breaking down at the molecular level because of the sheer amount of stress that was being put onto the rubber compound over those curbs so what as you say whilst that wouldn't necessarily be such an issue for the tires on a bike certainly you wouldn't want to be departing from your bike and going over those curbs because that is not going to end well so yeah we'll keep an eye on that um what did that? I was trying to think what that point started off as, because um, we we've strayed into Formula One territory, which we also we won't do. But um. we had talking about uh, car racing with Rossi, and so that prompted me to remember so we were. that that happened. And that's yes. that's how I drug us into this hole of despair that we are in now. I was the whole BMW to, thing, yeah, yeah, and BMWs are cars too. All right, so the. The thing I'm thinking about is I'm trying to think if there is a, a world superbike race before MotoGP goes there. I do not know. They don't but, race in Qatar anymore. Okay. They used I know they to, used to. But they, okay. But yeah, they, they I, don't any longer. You can't tell who's on off schedule anymore. It just seems to be rather ridiculous. But I think that uh, pretty much covers Everything that we wanted for this show, just a quick wrap up of news, which wasn't quick. No, <laughs> never is. <laughs> never is. So I think with that, we will end this show. Get this out for you guys. Before we go into the triple header, we go to Indonesia, the Malika circuit. Then we go to Australia. Australia. Then to Thailand. Correct. Then it's a week break. And then we go to Malaysia, Qatar, Valencia to round out the season on three on the trot. So with all that said, I will remind you to ride safe. See you next time. 